0: you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. As the last day or two when Pastor Chuck mentioned that he may not be here, my mind immediately, for whatever reason, went to Psalm 46. And I sat down and attempted to... I mean, it's a familiar psalm. But even in this this first hour, as we were thinking about the many needs of the church and the difficulties that we we run into and the sorrows of life, perhaps it is of the Lord that we would look at this this morning to find uh, encouragement. So my aim is to preach through Psalm 46 this morning. I'll read it first. Verse 1. As God is our refuge and strength, God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, peace is an amazing experience and a precious thing when it is our experience to be at peace with God in our souls and we are at peace with. One another and our circumstances are at peace. It's a it's a treasured reality, and I think it's fitting that the songwriter used the imagery of a river when he said, "When peace like a river attendeth my soul." There's something so perfectly descriptive about the gentle flow of a stream that captures the essence of peace. And if you know me, you know that one of my favorite places to be is to to go where there's a gentle stream and just be able to sit there and think and watch as the water flows by and you can listen and hear and and be at peace and just enjoy the beauty of creation. But peace is not always experienced by the believer. There are times when our lives cannot be compared to a gentle flowing stream, but rather a raging tumultuous river of chaos. Too often, in fact, the busyness of our lives calls us to go from one crazy day to another full of, of schedules and activities, and Saturday is full of all that we can pack into it, and then we come to Sunday, and we're, we're worn out. We're not living a life that is marked necessarily by peace all the time. We, we have much chaos. But sometimes the chaos or the unrest is not self-inflicted at all. Sometimes it's the circumstances of life that just pounce on us as unexpected as an earthquake and they, it, it, it disrupts everything about our lives. And peace is the furthest thing from our minds as we grapple with what's happening and where we are at and a loss to know how to get through the day, let alone moving forward in life. So there are many things that come along in our lives and and seek to steal our peace and seek to bring chaos and unrest and insecurity and trouble. So what do we do in those times? How do we react? Because this happens to all of us at one point or another. It's life. It's difficult at times. So how would God have us respond? And I think we see that God would not have us be surprised By difficulty, God would not have us be shocked that there are difficult circumstances in life. And in fact, it's often the element of surprise that when the trial comes, that is so hard for us. If we could plan our trials for one specific weekend, if we could plan all the bad things for a certain time and and endure it, maybe we could set aside a certain time for expected disaster or whatever. But it doesn't work that way. The mountain falls into the sea when we're least expecting it. And we're surprised. We're shocked at the calamity. And so often we're unprepared. Peter, writing to the people who endured much suffering, says to them in 1 Peter 4:12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings. So perhaps we need to hear. That reminder this morning that we ought not to be surprised when these things happen. Don't be surprised when trial comes. When trials come, when, when chaos comes, when our faith is tested. These things are normal to the Christian. It is not a strange thing. And so this morning I want to look at this psalm and, and it seems to be written to those who have been interrupted, perhaps surprised by difficulty. It's a psalm that acknowledges unrest and chaos, but it gives us help as we are passing through these things. It doesn't just acknowledge the existence of them, it helps us to have hope and direction. So just as a brief outline of where we're going, I want to look at this text under four headings. The presence of God in chaos, verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 through 7, we'll look at the provision experienced, God's provision experienced, and then God's purpose unfolding, and finally in the last two verses, God's preeminence proclaimed. So first of all, God's presence in chaos. We see there in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. And we can see immediately we we have what we have is a special gift of grace only to believers. It's something that unbelievers know nothing of. They know not the comfort of having God as our specific refuge and strength. There is a undeniable distinction between the believer who experiences these things and the unbeliever who experiences the sorrows of life. And it's God. We have a God who has promised to be our refuge and strength, right? And so we have a promise, a sure reality that no matter how troubled we are, no matter how difficult the circumstances, God's presence is promised to his people, friends that reality is going to affect how we respond to difficulty and trials of sorrow and sorrows of, of any kind because our consolation is not in comfort but it is in god we don't read in 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 comfort is our refuge and strength when i'm comfortable i'm at peace we don't read that when i'm healthy then i am comforted then i am and, and, at peace when i enjoy wealth and achievements then i have a refuge and strength no it is God, God, who is our refuge and strength. And recognize, no one thinks they need God when all is well. You know, believers don't think they need God. But then he brings about these difficult things in their circumstances, and they suddenly wonder why God would allow them to happen. So for the Christian, our refuge, our strength, our help in time of need is not based on any circumstances, but God. And because we are tethered to him by faith, We're not easily moved in time of trouble. We're not crippled by fear as the world is when these things strike, when we we know that the source of strength is God and not in our circumstances. But then the question might be be asked, what happens if verse 2 is not my experience? It says, therefore, we shall not fear. But what happens if that's not my experience? What if I do fear? What if I'm terrified? Because a mountain outside my window just fell into the sea. And, and, and something's coming and it's difficult, and I, I'm, I'm falling apart and I'm fearful to my core. Why is this truth not leading me into change? You ever think that? I mean, am I, am I some kind of bad Christian or something that I'm not experiencing the change? I've reminded myself of truth, and it, it's as meaningless as though I'm yelling at the wind to stop blowing. Nothing's changing. Well, the, the reality is that you're not a bad Christian. It's just that when the, when the truth does not seem to dispel our fear, we, we don't lay aside the truth and call it ineffective or, or inconsequential. It is truth that sets us free. And we read that faith comes from hearing. And so we need to set forth the truth before, set forth the truth before our minds and ask God to align our heads and our hearts so we can walk in the truth and experience the freedom and change. And brethren, here's the truth of the text. That God is very present with you in the midst of your trouble. And God would have his people learn how to trust him in that. God is a good and faithful and loving God, and he is jealous that we find him to be our refuge and strength. And so if and when we lack confidence in God, perhaps it's because we are leaning so heavily on our circumstance for our peace and, and perhaps we need a measure of testing to expose the reality of our faulty faith. And God knows these things. God doesn't tempt us beyond when we can bear. He's he's not a, a, a difficult and unloving God, but he's teaching us these things. He's sharpening He's sharpening our focus because affliction has a refining aspect to it, right? It, it removes the dross. It gives us a clear sight of God. In fact, David in, in Psalm 119 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statues. It's good. I see that now. It was good. And we can notice that times of trouble are assumed for reasons that we don't always know in full don't know in full at all, but it seems like God has ordained for all believers that the path to the promised land goes directly through the Red Sea, where our, our faith is tried and his promises are proven to us so that we know something for ourselves of God being our refuge because we're going to encounter difficulties along the way. There are difficulties along the path of the celestial city, but we're not alone. And God has a purpose in them. In Isaiah 43 too, he says that, you know, when you pass through waters, I'm going to be with you. Through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. I will be with you. And so in these seasons of sorrow, I believe God wants us to learn that we can trust him and we need to rely on him, not on perfect circumstances to meet our needs. It is is a marvelous statement about God. It says that he is our protection. He is our strength. He is with us. And friends, I just ask you, as a believer, is that sufficient for you? is that sufficient for you? The promise of his presence, the promise of his protection and strength for you, is it sufficient? We have promise to us sufficient supplies to protect us in times of trouble, to empower us in times of need, to to encompass us in his presence. So so the the result of that would be something like David saying, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But then we also have to notice there in verse 2, the wonderful conjunction, therefore. What would we do without the conjunctions of the Bible? What would we do if we didn't have things like this? They're they're keys to open the door to the most precious treasures of grace for all of us. They're hinges that connect the, the, the objective truth of God's word to the experienced reality of our lives. Right? These blessed conjunctions. And I would encourage you to read your Bible looking for these things. Look for the conjunctions which hang on The truth of God's word is coming to help you. There's something here that's going to help you. And so here we have the key to unlock the treasure of grace, which is for every Christian. And it is this, therefore, since we have a God who has promised to be our protection, who has promised to give us the power that we need to live in and through hardships, since we have a God who is always present with us, what does it lead to? It leads to something, an obvious conclusion, a a real life help to us. It's a deduction of facts, but it is more than that. It's a life-altering shift away from the natural response that comes from a a God-centered response that comes from knowing him and having a God-saturated worldview and a biblical theology that moves us from fear to faith. There's help. It's pressing into our minds the reality that we have a God who is sovereign. We have a God who is omnipotent. He's loving and kind and merciful and in tr- trusting him we can move forward. We can move from fear to faith. And brethren, brother and I we're not we're not through all the difficult seasons of life yet. In our lifetime we could see all manner of of difficulties that are greatly concerning. So if we're going to get through this without fear, without fear of all things unraveling unraveling around us, we need to be grounded in the therefores, right? We need an anchor that's going to hold on to us. This is something for us to grasp, a precious reality that God's presence is with us. We need to latch on to that with such tenacity that it actually keeps us from fearing, Our thinking is so pivotal. Brethren, our theology is immensely practical. Do you believe that? Immensely practical. How else are we going to respond any differently than the average human being when sorrows and difficulties come into us if we are not grounded in what we know to be true? This is when we realize whether or not our theology has roots in God himself. Because we can know all manner of things. You know this. You can be so full of knowledge and not have any roots in God. And it's our faith in God, in God being who he says he is, that takes us out of the realm of being crippled by fear and anxiety and lifts us out of that and, and gives us a solid foundation of trusting God, no matter what the amount of chaos is. Because this, this, this psalm is a picture of chaos, Right? You recognize that? It's, it's, a, it's language painting a picture of great upheaval. It's picturing, you know, the earth giving way, mountains falling into the seas. This is, this is not just a bad day. This is not just a hard season. It is descriptive of circumstances that would and should, from man's perspective, cause us to be immensely fearful. But in the midst of that is the reality of God's promised presence. And that's the repeated theme of this, of this chapter. God's nearness, God's provision, God's purpose and power and preeminence, even in the midst of chaos and unrest. So, brethren, I recognize that the illustrative language of, you know, roaring seas and foaming waters and mountains falling into the sea and, and all of this picture of turmoil, for some of us it's very descriptive of our lives. Some of you are living this right now. There truly is upheaval. It's very descriptive of what we are experiencing. It can be sickness or suffering or unrest or anxiety or strained relationships or pain or death. These circumstances are real. These things are real and unavoidable. And so my hope in in looking at this psalm can help you not ignore the chaos but to focus our attention on God and I hope it can be a light to your path and a doorway through which you can see the goodness of God and cling to his promise because I would just remind you of what you already know that that God is always present but we read here that he is very present in our time of trouble and the the word very is just a word that means abundant. God is abundantly present with you. He does not withdraw himself in times of difficulty. He does not remove himself when there's hardship coming. He says he's near to us. He says, call to me and I'll answer you. He's not a distant God, unconcerned about our circumstances. He never abandons his children, especially in, con- in, in affliction He is not a very distant God, but a very present God in help in our time of trouble. And so we must cling to this promise and this reality. So God's presence in chaos. And secondly, let's look at verses 4 through 7. God's provision experienced. So brethren, it would be good for us if we just had the first three verses, right? We We would like that. We would appreciate that. We would rejoice in knowing that God has promised to be our protection, our power, and he's promised his presence with us. But even then, we may be tempted to say, how am I supposed to endure now? How am I supposed to get through? Am I just going to put my head down and and get through this difficulty? There's no help for me? It kind of lands on us like a backhanded compliment, like it's, it's a good thing, but we don't know how to receive it because we don't know what to do with it. But then we're reading along, hearing of waters roaring and mountains falling, and suddenly comes a contrasting thought, right? There's a river. It's a sudden shift, a shift away from the torrential sea to a tranquil river, flowing with all we need. And brethren, this is, this is such good news for us, that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Thank God for the river of grace, the supply that comes to the believer even in the midst of unrest. Thank God that there is always a river where the streams of grace flow free and wide. We're not left to be victims of our circumstances and the chaos. We're not left to hang our head and somehow, you know, endure life, but not enjoy anything of it. God's provision here is constant, as constant as a a flowing stream whose contents are flowing to, to us free and available to all who take of them. Isn't that how we find God's grace? That it's available to us, but it's also effectual. It's also effectual. The streams of grace make us glad. They are to the soul of the Christian as important as the air we breathe. How are we to live even a day without being supplied by the constant grace of God, which flows to us from him, his throne, his his own person? Notice in the contrast that the disturbance of the world does not cut off the supply of grace. It's not as though we we live in too much turmoil, too much busyness, too much suffering, too much anything for the grace of God to get through to us. It comes. There is a river. There is a supply of grace for you. The reminder may need to be given to us that the thirsty soul must still drink or we will remain thirsty. Brethren, why is it that sometimes in, in trials and tribulations, we are so prone to neglect the very means of grace that God has provided? It's as though we're sitting at the dinner table complaining of hunger, but we won't eat. God says, open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. So how is this provision experienced? I said this is provision experienced. How do we experience this? Because the, the river of grace flows to us, And it comes to us in a variety of ways. It comes to us through the the precious promises of God's word, which we just talked about. We read and trust and live by his promises. We cling to that in everything. We cling to his promises. Grace comes to us through the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. And friends, if I can just tell you one thing. there, If you read Hebrews 3, people's life depend on you encouraging them. You and I, we are not dependent on one man or one ministry to do the work of the, of the church. You and I are ministers of grace to one another, and we need to be encouraging one another, exhorting one another when need be, but coming alongside and, and bringing out the truth of God's word and seeking to, to encourage one another as we live life together. All the more reason to give your life to the body of Christ. Invest yourself in His people, but then help also comes to us as we give ourselves to the means of grace. We we saturate ourselves when we in, in the Word of God. We give ourselves to prayer. We we do these things on on our own, and we are strengthened. We're strengthened. So whatever means God uses, there is always an ever flowing river of grace into our lives, and He promised to give us all that we need for the day and the task at hand, brethren. The river never stops flowing. The supply is never cut off. The fountain is God himself. And so we can deduce from that, that Christian, you shall never lack the grace you need for anything that God calls you to. You will not lack the grace that you need. But how else does God provide? How else do we experience his provision? Look at verse 5. It says God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Now there's something that even in the in the difficulties, when, when we're surrounded by sorrow, when we're struggling, there's something that we can use in prayer. Right? God, I'm feeling the overwhelming pressures of the circumstances of life. I'm feeling the cumulative effects of all the unrest, and I'm looking to your word, and I read there that you're in the midst of your people, in the midst of your holy habitation. So, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that I will not go down unless you go down. Because you said you're in the midst of us. And so even if, it, if it's all that you can do, is, is, you should say to the Lord, I, I know I'm not, this is not going to be the end of me, Lord. This is not going to be the end of me because you've said that you are with me. And if I am attacked, if the enemy is going to lay siege on my soul, then he's coming at you as well. And I know enough about you, God, that you're never going to let your enemies prevail against you. So as long as my place is secure, that I am surrounded by God, then I am not going to be defeated. Lies will not have the final word. Anxiety will not have the final word. Discouragement will not have the final word. Trials will shake us, but they will not destroy us. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. She shall not be moved. The church, the church will not be moved. You believe that? Brethren, but the believer, the blood-bought believer, the one for whom Christ died, will not be moved. Don't lose yourself in the church and think that God cares for the church, but he doesn't care for you. You are the church. You will not be moved. You will not be moved. And so it doesn't matter how large the attack is or how long the trial God is in her midst. And that truth, brethren, I know enough about myself and I know enough about how we work because that goes directly against how we feel, right? We don't feel all that secure. We feel pretty shaken, pretty vulnerable, pretty open to the enemy. But this truth goes against that. All the more reason why we need this book. We need to be grounded in this book. We need to heed its instruction. Whatever things are true, think on those things. But then there's more. So she shall not be moved. But what does it say? God will help her when morning dawns. God will help her when morning dawns. And maybe some of us need reminded of this promise this morning, that God will help her. You might think, well, I've known little of, of, the, of the river of grace supplying, you know, gladness to my heart. I, I know little of that, but I can cling to this, that God's going to help. He's promised to help. I'm not going to fail. I'm, he's not going to let me be destroyed. And yes, help might not come as quickly as we want it to. It says help comes in the morning. It doesn't come when we want it to. We, won't, we don't want to wait till morning. We don't want to wait till next week or next year. We want help now. God says when the morning dawns, I will help. God seems to delay at times. He does delay at times. But it's always wise for him to do so. We have to endure sorrow for the night. But joy comes in the morning. It's coming. It's coming. There's going to be a day friends, in the, in the future, when as believers, there's going to be a day when God breaks through the darkness and conquers his enemies and yours. And when that happens, we should be the first to stand and praise him and worship him and honor him. His help has come. And we see the victory. We see the victory. Now, verses 6 and 7, again, how is, how is the provision of God experienced? Well, on a large scale, we recognize that the nations rage. They're furious with God, with Christians, and with our Christianity, they're furious with how we live out. They want to, okay, well, they, 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 they hate Christians, Right? And so if you examine the path of the people of God in the Old Testament as they were making their way to the promised land, this verse is very descriptive of their progression towards the promised land. Nations raged, kingdoms tottered, they were moved, they couldn't stand against God as, as his people came forward. And it's likely that the psalmist was recalling a specific instance in which a nation came against God's people. And he describes how, how God reacted and what was the, what was the outcome. What, was, what did happen? Did God, you know, rally all the troops of heaven? Did he bring down the angels in some kind of torrential war? No. What does it say? He uttered his voice. He spoke. And the earth melted. In a word, in a word, his enemies are defeated. And it's just a simple reminder for us that God has helped his people in the past. Amen? God's helped his people in the past and he will continue to do that because, brethren, we're not all that different from the day of when this psalm was written. We still have enemies. But like the Old Testament saints, we have God as our refuge. In and, and verse 7, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're no longer exposed to the danger. We're safe. We're safe. Because God is our fortress. So we see God's provision experience, but then Number three, we see God's purposes unfolding. If you look at verses 8 and 9, he says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Do we see a a corner being turned here in verse 8? The author says, Now come look at what God's done. I told you he was going to be faithful. I told you he was going to help. And he did. There's observable evidence that God has helped his people just as I promised he would and we're beckoned to come and behold the works of God. This is similar to Psalm 66, 5 and 6. It says, come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds towards the children of man. What did he do? Well, he turned the Red Sea into dry land. They passed through it on foot and there did we rejoice in him. He's done it in the past and he's going to do it again. So, how do we see God's purposes unfold? Well, God turned out to be what he promised to be. He was their refuge in time of trouble, and the deliverance was coming. And you know what else? The deliverance was his own doing. The deliverance was his own doing. Look at all the personal pronouns. He made desolation on his enemies. He made wars to cease. He broke the bow. He shattered the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, he completely and totally annihilated his enemies and the enemies of his people. God did that. I have as the heading, God's purpose unfolding. And I have it because it's undeniable that God had a purpose in this and He it was brought about in his time and in his way. And we just need to remember that, friends, that God's purpose is unfolding, not just in the cosmic scale, but in your life, in every detail of your life. His purpose is unfolding. And I wonder sometimes if the reason we don't lose hope in our our times of trial or difficulty is because we, we are sometimes so tempted to doubt you know, if, if God's going to bring about his purpose in whatever the scenario may be, we're, we're sometimes so far from confident and even doubtful about all the, the, the events of our lives as if, how is God going to work this for good? Maybe we doubt God's power, but more likely we are tempted to doubt his goodness. We're tempted to doubt that he's going to work all these things together for the good of those who love him. But here's the reminder, friends. We need to heed this petition and come behold the works of the God. We need to think about his perfect track record of faithfulness to every one of his children through all the generations. Perfect faithfulness. Are you going to be the first that he fails? Let's soak up in the knowledge that God orders the events of our lives that he might get the most glory. We need to trust him in that. Because here's the, here, here's the reality. We as well, Israelites aren't the only ones who had enemies. They had enemies. They fought against physical battles and, phys, you know, they fought real wars. We have enemies who are making war against us, who draw their bows and aim their fiery darts at us with the attempt to destroy us. Right? We're not the Israelites. We're not going out on the battlefield fighting. But we have real enemies. Ours are spiritual enemies. Enemies who want to destroy us with doubts and questions and worries and fears and divisions and offenses and anything and everything that he can bring against you to destroy you. We have enemies. But there is going to be a day. There's going to be a day when, 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 when we will say, come behold the works of the Lord. Look at the deliverance that God has brought about and brethren, there may even be debris, a, a battlefield of debris throughout your whole life where you see the bows that was crushed, the spear that was splintered, the, the chariot that was burned by God that was seeking to deliver a whole load of worries and fears to you, but it was destroyed and God delivered you. God delivered you. And you're going to be able to see that. And the call is to come behold the works of the Lord. Brethren, we have, a, 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 we have I don't want to say an obligation, but we have a duty to call out what God is doing in our lives. When he delivers us, when he makes a way, others are strengthened by recognizing what God has done in your life. We need to say that, as, as the psalmist says, come behold the works of the Lord. Look at what he has done. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. Our enemies are defeated. Brethren, we can find comfort in the words that God did this. And we need to remember that God can still break the bow of the enemy who's shooting arrows of doubt into your mind. God can still Burn the chariot that's seeking to deliver that load of sorrow to you and, and worry and fear and anxiety. God can smash the spear that's attempting to pierce your heart with, with discouragement and weariness and depression and all these things that the enemy throws upon us. We still have a God who's omnipotent. So we see God's purposes unfolding. And then finally and quickly, God's preeminence proclaimed. Verse 10 and 11. Be still. And know that I am God. We know these verses. We know this truth. So what is God's response to a world in chaos? What is God's warning to the wicked? What is God's word to his people who live in the midst of chaos? He had promised all these things. It's this. Be still and know that I am God. And know that I will be Exalted among the nations, in all the earth. My glory is at stake, and I'm at work in and through all of these things. Perhaps God's saying, what you must know, believer, what you must know about me is clear, and I've showed you in my power, in my provision, and my promise, I am not leaving you. Now, quiet your soul, and realize that I am infinitely above all your circumstances. And yet, I'm intimately present with you in them. So what does it mean? Well, first I think it means that we need to stop striving against God. Stop resisting His will. Stop complaining against His sovereignty. God is God. Be still and lay down our arms of of complacency against Him. Complaining against Him. The word... Be still actually means cease striving. Relax. Lay down your arms. It's an exhortation for us to lay down our arms of resistance, leaving the matter to God. And so I'll I just ask, are you, are you striving against God this morning in his orchestration of your life? Are you leaving the matter to him? Or are you frustrated with his handling of your life, with the circumstances, with the calling that he has on your life, with the path that he's chosen for you? Because it's too difficult for you. It's more difficult than you would have chosen. Well, brethren, God would not have us be anxious or frustrated or angry with him. He would just call us to, as as he did with the people of the Red Sea. What What did he say to them? Fear not. They're at the Red Sea. The enemy's coming behind them. The waters in front of them. What does he say? Fear not. Well, how many are supposed to fear not? We're going to die. No, he says, fear not. Stand firm. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. Be still. Stop striving. God is going to work His salvation for you today. God's plan will unfold. God's plan will unfold. Secondly, it's a call to humility. Be still. Stop striving. What? I mean, would we as God's people raise ourselves against God? Would we as, as mere humans rise up in defiance against our maker? You know, for believers, this is, a, this is a reminder that he is the possessor of all things. He is the orchestrator of all things. He's able to bring about his purpose in and for his people in the way that he has decreed. And our response must be out of what Peter said. We must humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt us. It's a call to me humility. But then we can also recognize that we can take these words and speak them to our own souls. When our enemy comes to wage war on us, what are we going to say? What are we going to do when the battle rages? Well, we can, we can recognize what God's given us. We can say, Be still, anxiety and fear. Has not God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Be still, O faithless one. There, there is not, is, I mean, don't we see great reason to trust God and hope in God. The whole world around us may be in an uproar, but I'm trusting the sovereignty of God. And I know that he shall rule the whole world. Be still, O oh impatient Christian! Stop striving against God. Don't you know that His timing is perfect? Don't we read that you know my times are in Your hands? You know these are all things that that we can apply to ourselves in these times of sorrow. We can assure our hearts of these truths, then we're going to be able to say gladly, God is our refuge and strength, a very help, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. But this is very. Applicable to unbelievers as well. And it is this: unbeliever, stop striving against God. Humble yourself before him. How how proud and arrogantly people, unbelievers, oppose God, how boldly they come against him and accuse him. Humility before him is the last thing on the unbeliever's mind. They would rather accuse him and mock him and, and call into question all of his activities. And the call is this, be still. Stop striving against God. Humble yourself before him. And so, friend, if you are here as an unbeliever and you are not safe in the arms and the refuge of Christ, but rather exposed to his fearful wrath and all the things that are coming, you're not promised any of his help, but only his anger. And this is God's warning to you this morning. Stop striving against god lay down your arms you will find a willing savior You find a willing savior so finally we notice just the repeated theme of this text is put before us again in verse 11, and it's the presence of God. Verse one, he is our very present help. Verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. And that refrain is repeated again in verse 11. The presence of God, my friends, is not this abstract reality to the psalmist. It is a genuine comfort to him. And he goes back again and again and again saying, yes, all this tumultuous activity. Yes, there are attacks. Yes, there are opponents. Yes, we have enemies, but God is with us and we shall not be moved. Is his repeated theme. And so one question for us to think about as I I close is this. Is God's presence with, with us, is God's presence with us so real and so effectual that it changes how you respond to the circumstances of life? Because if not, something needs to change. Because our help is not an abstract knowledge of God or something about God, just just facts. It's not that, but a genuine belief and a genuine trust in who he is, in his person and in the promises he's given us. Only in that are we going to be helped. You remember Moses leading the people? You know, God was angry with them. Moses said, hey, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us out from here. I don't want anything to do with going on if your presence is not with us. He knew that God must accompany them. And while you know, we know in the new covenant we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, we 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 sometimes, friends, are just not aware of God's presence as we ought to be, so we're not as helped as we could be. And I think David understood this in Psalm 16. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. And because he's at my right hand, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be shaken. And that awareness of God's presence is one of our greatest needs. That awareness. No matter what trouble or anxiety or difficulty we face, God is here. God is on our right hand. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the promises that you give to us. Thank you for how real, Lord, your word describes our lives that we recognize we too live with many foaming waters and roaring seas and circumstances that threaten to overtake us. And yet your promise that we read of in this chapter is just as real and applicable to us today. Help us to walk in this truth, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.